Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. Thank you, Lord. Well, last week I started a message about the flow or the river of life that comes from us as the Holy Spirit flows through us. I'll continue with those thoughts. There will be a few of them working and where I'm going today. But I really felt it's, I've got a, two, a two-week message but I really felt the Spirit of God just impressed me this week um, on what I'm going to talk to you about today, that um, I want to talk to you about the hedge of protection for the believer. This came well before what I'm going to share with you in this moment, but I felt prompted by the Spirit of God that um, there is protection afforded you as a follower of Jesus that is far greater than anything you can do within yourself to protect yourself and your family. Uh, On Friday, I believe it was, Susan and I went up to the campground. If you haven't been there, you need to go up. It's a beautiful place. It needs a little work. They're working on it. um, One of our dear friends, and Mike and Teresa's dear friend, uh, he pastors the Grace Church in Longview, uh, Washington, and uh, Bob Giles is his name. And he had, he had volunteered, he and his church, that they would install the whole roof. And, you know, you know old buildings, right? It doesn't matter how much paint is on the outside or anything. And once you start pulling the layers back, it's like, yeah, that's what you find out. So a job that they were figuring in a few weeks is, is literally going to be several months. Anyway, long story. So Pastor Bob was up on the roof Friday. <clears throat> uh, he's been up there for a number of weeks now, he and his men. And... Uh, he uh, tripped on a little something, stumbled, and went off the roof and uh, fell on the concrete slab there and um, injured himself, broke his pelvis in a couple places, broke some ribs. We pulled in, uh, and they said, did you see the ambulance? And I said, well, yeah, I saw him. But it, they said, well, that Pastor Bob's in that ambulance going to Peace Health right over here. And so we prayed, and it's been kind of going out in the email with the you know, the preachers and all of that. And he's a beloved, a beloved pastor in our group and our fellowship. He's on the missions board and that kind of thing. So there's been a lot of prayer going up. But in that, I went over and was looking at the building. And I'm not the greatest builder in the world, but I, there was enough there that I could see, wow, this is a huge project. And, um, and I saw where he went off. And uh, I think it would have broke more of me than it did him if I went off, when it went off there. Uh, but, you know, they were worried about a concussion. He hit his head hard on the cement and that kind of thing. Uh, really, what took place was the protection of God over his life. Yeah, he's got a few things broke, but it could be a whole lot worse. You know, that's the testimony that we all have in various things of life. But as believers... Is part of the promise, is part of the heritage of who we are, being people that have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual hedge that we can 
live surrounded by. And I want to talk to you about today. God has a wall of protection promised for all those who believe on him, walk with him, and trust in him. Here's the sad point, is that many are not aware that there is a spiritual war going on all around them. I believe the Holy Spirit is literally shaking the American church to a reawakening, if you will, that we're in uh, a battle. We're on the winning side. But a lot of times it's, it's almost presented in such a way that, yeah, you come to Christ and all your troubles are over. All your eternal troubles are over. You're going to heaven. But it doesn't mean now that you become uh, immune or, or, or uh, shielded from just the processes of life that happen. Bad things happen to good people. But that doesn't mean that there's the hedge of protection is not real. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that over in, over in Ezekiel chapter 13. Um, it'll, it'll pop up on the screen, but in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and see nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes, and there you have not gone up. Here's the part I want, verse 5. You've not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. <clears throat> Just so you know, the gifts as great as they are, the offices as great as they are, they're not perfect. We know in part, we prophesy in part. These, in, in Ezekiel's day, they were having some problems with some of the prophets because they were kind of prophesying out of their own spirit because of cultural pressure, pressure to say good things when there was some stuff that they needed to deal with. The, Holy, the Spirit of God was wanting them to deal with some things as a nation but what happened in all of that, oh, and just so you know, I absolutely believe the prophetic gift and office is still very much alive and operating in the body of Christ today. Uh, as a matter of fact, it seems to be at a higher level now than what I've ever know, known as uh, uh, a servant of God for over 50 years now. And I first started becoming uh, introduced to the fivefold ministry many, many, many years ago. Um, I won't go into the the journey of that, but I will say there are are tremendous men and women of God who carry a um, a prophetic anointing upon them, who speak the heart of the Lord to people and to a nation. Uh, apostolic uh, anointing it's it's strong today. It's stronger today, and I thank God for that. Well, part of this is what uh, God was telling them is that they didn't go up into the gaps, the breaches. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that the wall was imperfect in the way that it was constructed or designed. It's just that through the process of time, there were holes left in it. And instead of the people fixing the holes, they just kind of said, well, you know, it's not really a big deal. I'm going to tell you, gaps in the armor aren't a big deal when you're not in battle. <laughs> but as soon as you get towards the front line, those gaps become critical. 
I think what happened in the early 70s with Roe v. Wade and it being passed, I think there was a gap in the battle line of the church. It just happened. Nobody, nobody was paying much attention to the Supreme Court and all of that in that way. And anyway, that's another message there. But over in Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, very familiar verse of Scripture, but he said, uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, what do you do? You stand. That's what you do. Wrestling. It, it literally means in that, that Arabic word, it means something that's vibrating. It, it's, it kind of carries this, like, just think of a big bell and you just hit it as hard as you can with a, with a bat or something. And the bell just starts to vibrate. Wrestling. It means to strike someone with, with slaps. Please don't judge me, but I watch MMA from time to time. <laughs> and uh, out of that, there's a crazy uh, uh, competition, if you will, where big men, burly men, strong men, yeah, you watch the same. You, and the contest is this. You stand it, and the other guy gets to slap you as hard as he can. And you just stand there. And then, if you survive that, then it's your turn to slap him. And it goes on until one of the big burly men can't slap anymore. <laughs> I don't think I could take a love tap from one of those guys. I, I use that to just say, this is what he's talking about. It's not, oh, there's a little red devil over there with a couple horns that looks like cast of the ghost. No, you are up against, the church is up against spiritual, supernatural adversaries that are out to strike you and slap you silly. That's what you're up against. Those that have a cessationist view of the supernatural realm for the day that we live in, I just, I feel sorry for them theologically in, in that way because now you have to try to make sense on a natural realm in some things that are not natural at all. They're supernatural going on in life. Spiritually, a hedge is God's wall of protection. So when we start talking about a hedge of protection, God knows that. He knows that we're... Um, in, in ourselves that we can't even fight against flesh and blood very well. It gets really messy. We're not equipped outside of Christ to deal with supernatural warfare. But because of Jesus, and because of his victory, and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's not that you become a, a superhero in the supernatural realm, but you are not left defenseless. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to stand in a place and let the Lord fight through you. Most of you are familiar with the first part of the book of Job. Uh, most know the uh, first couple of chapters and gets a little hazy on the rest of the book until you get to the end. But I want to go over to Job. Interesting, interesting thing. You know the story of Job, right? He was tested and tried severely. The enemy came before God and said, 
It said, you've got your hand on him and I can't touch him. Read it on your own time. But over in Job chapter 1, verse 4, there's an incredible thing, incredible insight is afforded about this thing we're calling hedge of protection. And so this is, I'm going to jump right in verse 4, and this is just um, jumping into the middle of Job's life and what his pattern of following God was. And so it says that, uh, and his sons would go and feast in their houses, Job's sons, his family. They'd go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them, the number of who? The number of his children, daughters-in-laws, his grandchildren. He'd offer burnt offerings according to their number. He didn't forget any of them is what he's saying. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. Job was very much aware of the supernatural reality that operated in clans or in, or in households or in generational things. Um, I, believe, I believe most gaps in our protective hedges happen when we made choices that left us open to the enemy's attack. But the good news is, is that you can allow God to build a five-fold hedge around you and your family that the devil can't touch. I'll share some testimony about that maybe in the next, as we go through this all, what Susan and I have seen and have experienced. The Spirit of God does not always spare people from suffering and trials, right? If you've been around long, if you've read the Word much, you'll, you'll understand that principle. Peter said, think it not strange concerning these fiery trials as though some strange thing has come upon you. Fiery trials just happening. But there's a difference between, I think, between just the trials of life that just happen because we live on a broken planet and those things that happen because there's uh, an enemy spirit trying to destroy us or discourage us or get us to forget about God. Uh, we're not always promised to be spared from suffering and trials, but God's Spirit never abandons God's people. Come on, somebody. He promised He would be with you through it all. He always sustains and strengthens His people to endure every trial, and listen to this, and to be victorious over the enemy's attacks. That's the promise. That's part of what this whole thing, uh, this hedge is about. Uh, part of this is you need to know your enemy and what you're protected from. A lot of times things are happening in your life, and some, and some, it's, it's, you need the gift of the spirit of, of discerning of spirits. And that's another topic. We'll, we'll deal with that maybe on Wednesday night and stuff. But uh, if you don't know how the enemy operates, it's, it's easy to misinterpret. Well, that's just me, or that's just my boss, or that's just, and fill a whatever blank of difficulty you're dealing with. Well, it may be that you need to be in a place of spiritual warfare and start building up the gap, putting up the hedge, letting the Holy Spirit put a hedge around you. Know your enemy and what you're protected from. I'm going to give you the top 20 characteristics of Satan and his demons found in Scripture. 
Now, this is not a comprehensive list, but it's pretty thorough. There are some others in there that, you know, you can kind of debate over them a little bit. But these are the top 20 things that the enemy does. Now, um, I'm, I'm not going to preach them. I'm just going to read them and go through. There will be some scriptures up there with them. Uh, you can write them down if, if you want this later. Maybe, I mean, uh, uh, Mike Hallbrook can probably figure out a way to email this part to you if you're so interested, whatever. Um, but the top 20 characteristics of Satan and his demons that we find in Scripture. This is what the hedge of protection protects you from. Number one, they're not, they're not human, Ephesians 6.12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They are evil, Judges 9.23. And God sent a spirit between Abimelech and the men, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously. And uh, they're, they're evil. They're, they're always up to no good. Always. Well, it's just white witchcraft that I was playing with. Eh, wrong. Uh, you're going to end up regretting that type of interaction. They're intelligent and wise. 1 Kings 22, 22 through 24. God sent this. We're still on Judges there, but 1 Kings will come up. They're intelligent and wise. That is, uh, they're not dumb beasts. They know what's going on. They've been dealing with humanity. I mean, you're around this place for 60, 70 80, maybe 90, 100 years. They've been around for millennia. They know. They are powerful. Mark 5. Okay, the notes will, will catch up. Um, they are beings with personalities. You find that over in Acts 19 through 15. They talk and communicate. Mark 5, 6 through 7. There we go. I became a youth pastor in a little town called South Bend, Washington. Right out of little ministry school. It was a Pentecostal ministry school. But there was not one thing that said, this is how you deal with a demonic encounter. It wasn't that I didn't believe in it. I just didn't know what to do when it happened go in South End, Washington, right up the coast here, a couple of hours south of Aberdeen, Washington. Anyway, it's, it's a little town. Church there was in revival. We were there. And literally within the first couple of weeks, um, there was a young lady came in and went in the full-on manifestation on a Sunday night service. The pastor speaking, and I'm his youth guy now, and I'm sitting on the front row with some of the youth. And he said, Pastor Gary, take care of that. And I'm like, I need to check my resume and my job description here. I don't, I don't recall that. One of the deacons, his name was Jerry Ashley, and he was the chief of police, good spiritual man. In my huge anointing of wisdom, I turned to Jerry and said, Jerry, come here. <laughs> Let's take her. And anyway, during that time, it was the first time that I ever encountered a demon that talked back to me. I won't go into that, but that happened. Oh, take a trip over to Uganda to Pastor Moses' church. They have a room specially dedicated. He was telling me about it. How many want to go and we'll volunteer for, for that room? I would love to. Yeah. Not because I want to mess with demons, but I just want to be in and 
watch the authority of God. They feel over in Matthew 8.29. This is one. I've seen this happen. I've shared it before. I won't go into it today. But they have knowledge over in Acts 19.15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know and Paul, I know, but who are you? I had an experience all very that would go into that category. They have knowledge. A demon-possessed young lady began to tell security officers and police officers that we were, I was involved with trying to restrain her, and she began to tell them what they were doing in their lives privately. Came around the circle a couple times, came to me, looked at me, and then just went right on around. Oh, I'm not some big gray guy, but... And then she stopped and looked at me, and I said, what you're doing won't work on me. And she just kept going around. They congregate and fellowship, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 21. This is one we all need to be careful with. They preach doctrines, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Don't believe everything you hear, whether it be on the internet or whatever, uh, uh, or just somebody saying, hey, I've got a scripture and just... No, you try the spirits. Why? Because demons, there are doctrines of demons. And, and if you really look at they're amazingly close. And usually just got a, got a little, little hitch or a little imbalance somewhere around. They have desires, Matthew 8, 28 through 31. I believe this is where he said, I want to, um, yeah. Don't cast me out. Let me go into the end of the hog. They knew what they wanted. They knew what they wanted to do. They have a will, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Here's one again. You can't believe everything that looks supernatural and say, well, that's, that's, that's Holy Ghost. Because just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's Holy Ghost. It's only the Holy Ghost activity is the Spirit, 13 through 14. They possess supernatural strength over in Mark 5. Now, here's the one I love, and I... You can use this. They fear God. James 2, 19. They fear God. When you start declaring the blood of Jesus up under the anointing over a demonic encounter, and I don't mean somebody's demons, but I mean a demonic attack upon your life, you need to get yourself up under the hand of God and the blood of Jesus like never before. They fear that they cannot cross the bloodline. I don't care how much they lie to you. They can't. They travel, Mark 5, 7 through 12. I can't say I've dealt with every one of these because I haven't, but as I was going through these, a number of these, particularly in the time in the mission field, I, I did deal with it. I didn't even know what I was dealing with, but now I'm older and know the word more and all that. I look in, and I'm like, oh, man, I remember. I remember when that, that's... That's that, and they travel. I kept running into the same spirit in the Yukon Territory. And I thought it was just likeness and kind and same thing. But I'm convinced now I was running into the same spirit. Going to these little villages and dealing with Tlingit's people that were being brutalized, dying in their 40s and 50s because of generational curses and all of that. They impersonate people, 1 Samuel 28. Well, I used that a few weeks ago. Oh, I love this one. 
they know their fate. Matthew 8, 29. You got that one. And suddenly they cried out saying, what are we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Go in the last several chapters of Revelation and let it just bathe your spirit. They know what's coming. That's a lot of times that's you see there. I, I think that's one thing that's happening in the world right now and in our nation, but in many nations, is that the enemy knows. I, nobody knows the time or the hour that Jesus is coming again, but he knows better than we do, I think, that uh, the time is short, shorter than what it has ever been. And so this uptick, this increase in demonic activity. Oh, some of the prophetic prophets that are out there are, are seeing, sensing, hearing that there's, there's, getting to, there's going to be some type of spiritual reset that happens in our nation, and I believe in the world. And, and what's that for? Because the church in many pockets and areas is waking up to the reality of all of this. So they know their fate. They recognize those who have power over them, Acts 19. <laughs> they recognize those who have power over them. I was in a little village in the Yukon and um, ministered to some, some cousins of the chief and his wife. And there, they know I believe they know spiritual authority better than most Christians do down here because uh, uh, they're very matriarchal. There's usually a woman who's, who has great sway, and it's usually the chief's wife. And I won't get into all the, how that works and everything, but um, <clears throat> I would go into these villages, and God would give me favor. I led a couple cousins of the chief to the Lord, and uh, uh, in this village in Atlin, British Columbia, uh, the most furthest north uh, little town in the province of British Columbia, still have a church there, Atlin Christian Center. And um, um, these people are both dead now, but the Lord uh, apparently stirred them and they asked to meet me. And so I went and and, and I met with Sylvester and Elizabeth, and, and God gave me favor with them. And my oldest son then was not yet a teenager, and I would take him with me on many of these trips. And there, I was having a meeting there, and he came with me, and, and Elizabeth noticed him. So began to have a deeper conversation with the chief about coming in and ministering to his village, which was decimated by alcohol, decimated, decimated by alcohol. Alcohol syndrome babies were the norm, not the exception. And so there were dozens of alcohol syndrome people that lived in his village, and they literally had no, no way to deal with it. And Elizabeth said, can I take Jason? I'm like, sure, man, no problem. So she takes him and goes out, out back. <clears throat> it was all over. It was a good meeting. Um, 
driving back through the, through the woods. Jason, what happened? Well, she showed me how to skin a mink. Well, good. Did you learn it? I think so. She took me out to the, they had these huts. They smoked salmon. And then he said, Dad, it was kind of weird. She took me to this other hut where they would build fires and burn. It was incense is what it was. He didn't know what it was. And he began telling me this. Next couple of weeks, I was back in the village, and I requested to talk to Elizabeth. I prayed over my son, and he was innocent, didn't know what was happening. I didn't even really know what was happening. And um, I said to her, you took my son, and I appreciate you showing Oh, he's a, he'd make a good native boy. Great. That's great, Elizabeth. Thanks. Oh, by the way, he mentioned, and I was standing there, and we took, I said, he mentioned that you took him into that one right there. She just looked at me. And I said, what were you doing? And she said, I was letting him know that the spiritual world is real. I said, well, that's my job. That's why I'm here. Through that, God gave me favor with her. And I would go and have meetings. And she would tell me about spells and about curses and about blessings. I'd never, ever was prepared for such a thing. But it was real. I'm not going to take what time I have and take you through various things, but I can tell you it was absolutely real. Through it, I said, Elizabeth, you've got things going on in this village, things going on in your body, things going on all around this place. Um, And I said, it's spiritual, and it's because you're opening doors, and... um, you're, you're a key. You're, you're a key in this place of what's going on spiritually. And she said, Pastor, help me. It's one of the greatest things that happened when I was on the mission field, when she asked for help. And I said, absolutely, the Lord will help you. And we began to go through and develop ministry, I won't even say techniques, they weren't just ministry ways to deal with people that were bound for as many generations as they could remember, their grandfather and their dad, and their, every one of them died of alcohol poisoning usually or froze to death in a drunken stupor, on and on it goes, uh, died of tuberculosis because of... And within two years, the Canadian government reached out to us and said, what are you doing in Atlin, British Columbia? And I remember, as one of the representatives, I can't even remember what place it was, and I said, well, uh, you don't want to know what I'll tell you. (laughs) We both kind of laughed. And they said, why? And I said, because um, it's not a program. It's not a modified 10-point. And and 10 points is good. All All those kind of programs are great. You know, it's not, it's not any of that. And they let me be. And they offered to give us money and resources, which I refused to take. But I remember it was one summer, in the middle of the summer, we, they wanted to have a party, so they shot a moose. We went out and they barbecued the moose, and we were all there, and we were baptizing people. And 
I was so young then, I didn't realize really what was taking place. The party was they were celebrating that for 30 days, no one had been drunk in the village. None of them alive had ever seen that. The enemy recognizes those who have power over them. It's not my power, it's his power. But at some point, that power needs to be accessed again by the church of Jesus Christ in America and not just on foreign soil. Now, I know this may seem strange to some of you, the the message, and I understand that, but I've been here a year and I figure, hey, um, I'm going to give it a shot if, uh, you know, if uh, if you can't handle it, but I I think you're able to handle it very, very well. But this is something that's not talked about very much on on Sunday morning, but I want to talk to you about the reality of why you need a spiritual hedge around your life. This stuff isn't just in Uganda or any other place. It's all over everywhere to humanity. They're responsible. The last one is they're responsible for every evil known to man, Ephesians 6.11. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That You could say that's the bad news. The good news is, is that Jesus took every bit of his authority, conquered everything that he was able to unlawfully hold over people, and Jesus made a way for anybody who would say yes to him and willing to go his, uh, willing to follow him without reservation, he made a way where you can have a hedge of protection around your life. In over five decades of ministry, the number one biggest thing that I've dealt with on and on it goes with, with churches is not buildings and not budgets and not splits and not problems. It's people who have families that are falling apart and children that they don't understand why it's happening. They, and I think, honestly, a lot of times it's not because we, we didn't we did something wrong. It's just we didn't know what to do. The fivefold hedge of God's protection. I'll preach uh, the second part of it next week, but I'm going to finish up about what Job found in his life. It's the Old Testament equivalent of what we'll talk about next week. But Job um, contacted, if you will, or enacted or brought into his life a five-fold hedge of protection that was based primarily on his willingness to line himself up with God, not only for his own life, but for his family, for those children. Remember we just read about? Job 1. Let's go over there. I'm going to finish up with this. So, We heard in verse 4 and 5, Job's kids and their families would schedule parties at each other's homes. Life has always been the same. People and families have always congregated and gotten together. But Job knew within sight of him that he didn't know, I don't, think it, I don't think it gives us the indication that he knew what was going on, but there was something inside of him, I believe the mind of God and the wisdom of God, 
where, where he said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God when they're in these times together and cursed God in their hearts. So he sanctified, he, concert, he came and in his own life set his family apart and then covered them with his relationship and walk with God. He made sacrifices for them. He prayed, and, and I'm going to go through the five things that, that are there we'll find in, in a few other verses. But uh, before we get out of that, that uh, fourth, fifth uh, verses of Job 1, Job knew in his heart. So, everybody's responsible for their own walk with God, right? Sure they are. But I'm going to tell you an amazing uh, mercy of God is that God provides each one of you. And I'm going to start with the men because I believe it starts there. Now, if you're a single mom or if you're a single parent, um, just hold on. There's no, there's no um, uh, discrimination here. You just deal with the reality of life. But in, in what we would call the nuclear family unit, that is a, a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and children and eventually grandchildren and all that, the man is the one who primarily needs to take that spiritual place of leadership. I think that is what is broken down in the American culture, and indeed in almost every culture, except some of the Asian cultures and the Eastern cultures still have it, but boy, the Western cultures have been decimated. Do you think that's just because we've, we've become so sophisticated? No, that's because there's a demon that says, I know what the way to break them better than anything else they do. I'm going to remove dad out of the picture. Job was not removed. He said, I don't know what they're doing. Oh, by the way, if you so think that you know everything they're doing, uh, I've got a special prayer line for you right over here. It's for those that are... Yeah. <laughs> we get together now with our kids, and they're grown, and the great thing is, is that they have kids. We just read to graduate, and now I get to see, oh... Uh, the, the law of reaping and sowing is, is absolute. It's just, it's just absolute. A couple of weeks ago, we were down, Seth, my little grandson, my little grandson was graduating from high school. And we hadn't seen him in four years. Now I got to keep moving, but uh, I hadn't, we hadn't seen him in four years. So they were, you know, 12, 15 years, or 12, 13, 14 years old when the last time we saw them. And I remember Jason saying, Boy, Dad, the kids are growing. And I'm like, Yeah, we're going to get out of Texas. We'll come. Well, we finally went down. and for this, but I remember Jason saying, Brooke, our granddaughter, um, and she was a little blonde, toe-headed girl and sweet, and um, uh, Susan watches the Facebook, I don't, and, and uh, he said, Dad, she's grown up. She's 16. We show up, she's taller than I am. This beautiful young woman walks up and hugs me, and I'm like, oh man, California's a crazy place. It's my granddaughter. I remember taking Jason aside later, and I said, son, you got a shotgun? You need some more ammo. <laughs> we just laughed. It's a sick family. I know. I, just... I said, son, I know you are, but I'm going to tell you, you need to pray and stand in the gap. And his wife, Heather, I led her to the Lord many, many, many years ago. And uh, she's, is that, she's, spiritual glue thing there. Uh, Job was doing this, and it said it, uh, he, 
He did this regularly. Could you shut the um, music off, Mike? Thanks. And I'm going to try to not keep you more than another 10 minutes. Go over to Job 1.9. Going to go through it real quick. Five things. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? This is where we get the hedge. One of the places. Have you not made a hedge around him? God, you're protecting him. Listen to this. Around his household. What Job was doing in verses 4 and 5 was doing something in his household. Oh, Job was a, a good man and all that stuff. We're not going to get into that. But he was doing something that the enemy said, you've got not only Job protection, but there's a wall around those kids. And they're not perfect either, but there's a wall that's around them. I can't touch them. How many want that? For kids, grandkids, yay, great-grandkids, oh, for cousins, nephews. And so he goes through, and I'm just going to read it, and I'll tell you that what I think are the five points. He said, um, uh, he's, you've made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side. you bless the works of his hands. His possessions have increased in land. But now stretch out your hand and touch that all, all that he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. Wow. You see, if you choose to just live in the natural world, you're so outgunned by what this is really about that you don't even know what day it is because this is what's going on in the supernatural realm. Over our nation, over this church, over your life, I don't mean that to strike fear because there's no reason to be afraid. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But there are five things. A hedge. That is, it means to entwine, to shut in, to fence. That's what, that's what God did. God took and in the Spirit created something that was impenetrable for the enemy to get through to lay a hand on Job. Last week, uh, I can't remember now, but early in the week, um, somebody broke through the women's bathroom window. They jumped the fence, took a two before, smashed the window out. Anyway, all that kind of stuff. So it was some drama going in. The N-Tech guy showed up, and they were like, oh, man, you better get down here, Pastor, because it's kind of crazy. And uh, we didn't know who was in the building, all that kind of stuff. But um, through that, I've been looking at ways to hedge up the new unit that's going to be around. And one of the things to do is you put and you special types of wire. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't even... I can't imagine we talk about razor wire in church. But anyway, there are ways to put protection around things. Okay. Had all kinds. The reason I'm saying that, God knows you need that. And he said, I'm going to build something around your life that no demon in hell can crawl over. And if he tries, he's going to wish he didn't. That's in essence what this hedge is. So around him, that's what um, is going on. So, uh, God put it around Job. As you stand in the gap for others, whether it be your family, your nation, your church, whatever, the first thing is you stand in the gap. The first thing that happens is that God puts a hedge of protection around you. Why? Because you're doing kingdom business that very few are doing. You're the one who said there's a hole in the wall and I'm going to crawl up there and I'm going to stand it and in the spirit and say, God, not on my watch. Come on, somebody. My family they're being assaulted in all these ways. I'm going to stand in whatever hole the enemy is getting through. One of the things that we told our son and, and daughter-in-law is make sure you know every one of the people on their 
Facebook thing and who they go with and who they, you need to know. That's your job to know. God will protect you as you get involved to bring a, a hedge of protection around others. So Job had a hedge of protection around him. Make sure you're protected. If you're up under assault, get help. If you're up and, Lord, I'm fighting the devil and it's, and it's not going so good, pastor, reach out to somebody and they'll begin to pray. They'll begin to work. They'll, but get the hedge around you first. That's the whole point. I'm just going to tell you the truth of experience. Women are better at that than men are. Guys, it's time that we step up and take serious our position of standing in the wall for our wives, our family, our children. Around his household, okay, it's uh, that he was building a hedge around those that were under his roof. You, by virtue of the blood of Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which you're hiding in your heart, and your giving and your dedication and all those things, it all produces this umbrella effect over your life and over everything that is under your roof, under where you live. There is a wall and a hedge that God puts over you to protect you. I believe to protect your stuff, but primarily those people. And there's so many ways I go into this. Have you ever visited a home and you felt it peaceful there? We have. Have you ever visited a home and you felt just the opposite there? Okay, that's the difference between a covering of the hedge of protection and not. So it was, around, it was around his household. The third one was around all that he has on every side. This was the devil's complaint. You protected him. You protected his kids and those that are under his roof. And you protected everything that he has on every side. Put a few little things under that. His influences. Your influence needs to be covered under a hedge of protection. What am I saying? You don't want to be in church one day praising Jesus, and then a couple days later out in the world, and your influence is more like the world than it is more like the house of God or the kingdom of God. That's what I'm talking about. Job knew that he needed protection, and he did have it. His care, his authority, you want to protect the authority that God's invested in you. And uh, Another message there, but there are ways that that authority that the Lord put in you gets diluted, and it's whenever you pollute yourself with things of the world. Listen to this. His DNA connections, those that are the fruit of your life, your children, your grandchildren, those that are connected to you, Job, entire family was protected by that. My family, very quickly, in, in, in generations ago, they were alcoholics. They were not good people. One of my great-great-grandfathers was a sniper in the Confederate Army and died of syphilis. And I mean, man, as we were looking up, I said, guys, I don't think I want to know any, 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 anymore. But two generations ago, Grandpa Philip had a change. He started going to this church in Pennsylvania. And before too long, he was a deacon in a church. And now one of his kids became a pastor. And as you go down through, now all of a sudden there are four or five preachers. 
There are Sunday school teachers. There are like, what's going on? There was a curse that was broken off of our lineage back there. I don't know how it happened, but I know Grandpa Philip was in, in something, in a revival or something, and it changed the DNA, the curse on the DNA of our family. Does that remove responsibility from every single person? Absolutely not. But it gives you a chance that I don't have to die an alcoholic like his daddy did or his grandpa did. You need to provide that. I don't care how messed up it is. I don't care what it was in your life growing up. You're the one that can say, it stops with me, and from now on, my DNA is going to be blessed and live under a hedge of protection in my life. And it's not just DNA, anything under your care, foster kids, adopted kids, all that stuff. His history was protected. His future was protected. His passion and destiny was protected. His purpose and calling. The enemy, yeah, he wants to destroy you, but really what he's after, he wants to destroy what God's going to use you to bring other people to the kingdom. That's what he's trying to shut down. Your life. Job, devil said he's got to, you put a head around everything and all that he is on every side, around his work and career. When you come up under an attack in your business or on your job or whatever, you need to begin to take a position, Lord, I need the hedge of protection around my way that I make a living. And around his possessions, around his substance, it means more. God wants to bless you in such a way. I'm not saying God, oh man, we're going to get rich because we're, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying uh, God wants to bring more into your life that you're in control of. It, it's, it literally means distilling in drops. That is, it takes your life and it distills it down to what is really important. And then out of that, your life produces something. That's what was happening in Job's life. Some translated that word substance. It means cattle. Now I found it in a in kind of a root word thing, but really I'm like, Lord, what's this? And, and it felt the Lord said, in other words, God was protecting Job's business. How many need your business protected? Hedge of protection will do that. All the things that make you, you, God wants to protect. Why? Because you're the only you he ever made. You're it. He's not making another one of you. You're it. He wants you to be everything that he created you for. I want us to stand. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit begin to minister right now in a way where the revelation of the word of God will turn on lights. How many say, Pastor, would you pray? My family needs to come up under a hedge of protection. My job, my business my finances, my body, my relationships. They need to come up under a hedge of protection. Who's going to be bold and just lift your hand? I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward, but I'm just, I want to pray. The Lord will see. I, I, I have things in my life that I need under the, under the protection of God. My mind, there are times depression. There are times lies just seem to override the truth. Lord, protect me. Holy Spirit, now I pray, pray that you breathe and clear the cobwebs out of the emotional state of people's lives and they'll see what's going on for what it really is. It's an attack of the enemy. And Lord, 
we take authority over the enemy right now. So if there's something in your life that you know has been up under an attack, I want you to do something right now. I want you to do what Job began to do in the beginning of chapter 1. I want you to begin to consecrate it. That is, you set it aside. You give it to God, whether it's a son, a daughter, a grandchild, whether it's a business, a, a, a relationship, whatever. Lord we, Lord, we set it aside. We give it to you, Jesus. That's the first step. Holy Spirit, come right now and begin to build the hedge around us. Sicknesses that just seem to come out of nowhere, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Strife and anger that just seems to boil out of nowhere, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus protect you from that. Now, would you do this with me? Wherever you're at, turn whatever. If you're on this side, just turn Put your hand, stretch your hands out towards that wall on this side. Do that over here. And I want us to pray for our church. And I've not felt this church. Actually, it's been less than most places. I haven't felt a great deal of spiritual um, warfare. There's been some, of course. But on the inside, there's a, there's a remarkable resiliency to this house. I'll share something. A prophet called me this week, and I'll share it next week. But Now I want you to pray for people's church. Lord, we pray right now there will be a hedge of divine protection around this house in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for this place and what it is. It's been 25 years or more, whatever it's been. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for this uh, building. We thank you for all that it represents because it represents what you're seeing that we don't see. You're, You're doing something bigger than what we see, God. And we just pray that as your people, we want your hedge to be around everything that is here. Be around our finances. Be around our resources. Lord, be around this building. It's where three congregations meet almost every day of the week in this place. There's tremendous things going on, Bible studies and, and uh, recovery uh, grief groups and all types of things going on. And Lord, I just pray that this place will be a safe place. As the, as the people come on that day, this, you just have the parking lot thing and the Boys and Girls Club come, that this will be a house of life to the city, a beacon, a light and salt in our, in our, in our town, in Jesus' name. Lord, touch us. Now I want you to just lay your hand on somebody next to you that's not connected to you, that is not your family, not your husband, not your wife. Just lay a hand on somebody else and just begin to pray right now. Begin to extend your head. Say, Lord, protect my brother. Protect my sister. Lord, whatever's going on in their life, I pray they come up under the blood of Jesus. Just begin to minister one to another like that for just a moment, would you please? Just begin to pray out. Lift your voice a little bit. Uh, It's okay to be uh, heard in the house of God. Lord, protect my brother and my sister in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray a hedge of protection around whatever's going on in their life right now, God, around their kids, grandkids, extended family. We pray over them in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Ha ha. Thank you, Lord. And I'm going to be real selfish about this one. Would you pray for your pastor and his wife? We need it. No, I'm serious. We need it. Pray for us. Lift us up. We pray for you every day. Oh, God is good. Thank you. I'm just going to dismiss you. Be friendly.